I want to talk to you about the harvest this morning. I think it's important for us to just grasp a little bit concerning the heart of the harvest. Um, when I came to our church here uh, 24 years ago, there was a desire to increase our missions program, and the Lord has done that through the years, and there's been faithful funds coming in for the missions that we have. And this, this is no uh, secret. This year we have the opportunity to take on a few more missionaries. For some reason, uh, a couple of the missionaries have come off the field for different reasons, and so we want to be able to uh, take care of that need and, and add more to the missionaries that we have already. And uh, what a blessing it is to be part of missions. But when we're talking about harvest, and we're talking about a physical harvest as far as the um, the, the corn and the beans and so on. Harvest time for the farmers is somewhat of a, a blessed burden, if you would. It's, it's, it's kind of a good thing to be able to bring the harvest in, but it's a, also it's a burden because you have to do a lot of preparing. And uh, maybe you were on a farm. How many of you were raised on a farm? Raise your hand. And you know what it's talking about. When I talk about the harvest time, uh, I can remember the late August, 1977, uh, early August, actually, I was with a group of people that went to the Sterritts Farm. They're down there in Prairie du Chien area. And uh, we went out into the, to the place. We were going to have a camp out there, you know. And so there was uh, all the campers were over to the right. And then, but I felt like going over by where the machinery was. And I was walking around the farm, and I saw an old man that was actually involved in, in uh, getting things ready, and I kept watching him. And, and then pretty soon I went over to Dave Sterrett. He was uh, one, of the, one of the young men that worked on the farm, the young boy. His dad, his, his grandpa, his great-grandpa owned the farm. Then it was his uh, grandpa, and then, of course, um, the dad, and now David. And so uh, David's my age, and uh, he's a truck driver now. And I don't know if the, the farm's still going. I think it is. But I remember asking the question, who's that guy over there? And uh, he was working on some of the machinery, and that was great-grandpa. And so great-grandpa was all excited about getting out the combine and greasing it down and getting all the, the, all the little, little uh, chisel things, or whatever, scissor things that go across, whatever they are. He was all excited about getting it all ready for the harvest. It was an exciting time for him. I don't know how many harvests he brought in, maybe 90, you know, or maybe 70 in reality, how many harvest times he actually was involved with it, and I don't know how many harvest times uh, you have been involved in. I had the opportunity to going to a farm for about five summers. Uh, when I was younger, I went from like age 15 and a half, and that was really important back then, and a half, that half was really important, because I was going to get my driver's license, and I got it there uh, because I was able to uh, drive on the farm and be able to drive the trucks around and the tractors and all that. It was just exciting for me as a 15-year-old, or 15-and-a-half-year-old, to be able to be involved with what we would call the harvest and bringing in the harvest. And I think when we're dealing with New Testament uh, stories, it's interesting if we know what's going on is the Lord Jesus Christ wanted to teach the people and then encourage them and preach to them. And remember, he only had three years to do this. The Lord Jesus Christ, uh, he spent more time in preparation than the preaching. And that's the way God works. He prepares, he prepares, he prepares, he prepares, and then all of a sudden thrusts forward with the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, being involved with the harvest for three years. And he was conveying this and passing this on to his disciples. And in John chapter 4, it's full of stories of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he was working in the harvest. I think about that time back in 1977. It was. I remember it was 77 because I think that's the same year that, that Elvis Presley died. And uh, I can mention him. Was it 77 or 78? 
77? Yeah, I thought it was. And, uh, and it was July or so when I heard about it. But it's interesting as we think about this because the, in my mind, I, I can see all of the machinery still around. Now, I always uh, was involved with things in the field um, as a non-farmer. So I was like a city kid uh, trying to do things on a farm. They tried, tried to help me how to cultivate uh, with, with, a, with an old John Deere uh, bee. You put the wider tires on it, and, and I had the, the, the cultivator was lowered down from the front in the middle of the machine, and so you, you couldn't turn around and look back. You had to go straight ahead, and you had to make sure your, your, your tires were in those in those, uh, what do you call, windrows or whatever, and uh, make sure that you didn't cross over and, and, plick, and, and take up the corn. And so I, I thought it was interesting because what was happening back then was an opportunity to, to be involved with the harvest. And a heart for the harvest uh, will come when we submit to the will of God in our lives personally and understand the purpose for, of missions. And so then we will realize really what God wants us to do to be able to finish his work. And so the Lord calls us co-laborers, and he's on a mission. And so I just wanted to give you uh, some thoughts this morning concerning it, pulling it out of the portion of Scripture here. And the first one really is the purpose of missions. And I see that in verses 31 through 34. Look at the Bible, if you would, with me, just these four verses. It says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught, him aught to eat? Did anybody bring him any food? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of, my, of, of, of him that sent me, and to finish his work. I think it's interesting as we think about the, 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 the purpose of missions and why do we have missions. And the Lord Jesus Christ stated missions and what his purpose was, was to do the will of him that sent me. The Bible is very clear that Jesus was sent to save sinners. He came to pay the price. He came to give his life on the cross. This is called the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we know what the gospel is. Many of us in here, if I was to ask you, what is the best place to look for the gospel? And you would turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and read the first six verses and say, this is really the best place somebody could actually see where the gospel is. But the Lord Jesus Christ knew that he came to do the will of his Father. In John 6, verse number 38, he said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to the will of him that sent me. Pretty clear that he didn't want to do his own will. We talked about that in Sunday school. Sometimes our will is different than God's will. And maybe you've had that happen in your life where you began to do something and you thought it would end up differently, but God intervened and now you have to yield to his will. And now you say, Lord, I know you're sovereign. You know it's best. I'm having a difficult time right now, but I know that, that you are the one that knows best for me, and so I submit to you. And the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned here in John chapter 6, verse number 38, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now, that wasn't just one statement. He had to live that for three years. And then toward the end of his life on earth, and he knew it was drawing near, he went to the garden and he said, not my will, but thine, O Lord. So it shows that he battled this the whole time. He was maybe perhaps hoping that, that, that God would intervene, perhaps. Maybe there could be some other way. 
Maybe there could be some other, other way that salvation would happen. Maybe it could be by good works. Maybe we could go ahead and change that if we could. Maybe, perhaps. Then Jesus, I don't know if he was thinking that, but he was saying, not my will, but thine. He was submitting to the will of the Father that was in heaven, saying, I know what's going to happen. They're going to crucify me. They're going to put me in a grave. I'm going to rise again. He knew that, too. I believe he did. But he knew that he was going to suffer, and he was going to bleed, and he was going to die, because he came to do that for you. Do you understand what Jesus Christ has done for you today? Do you understand that he went to the cross? He could have come down. He could have, he could have called 10,000 angels, and he could have stopped that whole thing. But no, he endured the cross for you and for I. It's interesting as we think about it, because the Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so we know that this is the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know that this is the purpose of the harvest and to, be, to bring souls in. And I think what's interesting in this particular verse, look at verse 34 again. You might want to take the pen. I do that sometimes, and I circle words. You should put in here, do not the will of him that sent me and to finish the work. So you have the will and the work mentioned there. He's saying it's not my will, but the Lord's will that I want to do, and I'm going to finish his work. And so he understood that Jesus came and purchased salvation for all that would believe in him. And this was the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In John 17, verse number 14, the Bible says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Now, he said that before he said it is finished on the cross. And we remember how on the cross when he was hanging there and he was dying out, crying out to his father in heaven and saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we know that the last words Jesus Christ spoke was, it is finished, it's done, it's completely done. It's, it's been purchased. He, he then knew that he had come to die and to suffer and he was on the cross and he was fully human, but he was fully God. How, we don't understand that, but that's the way it was. Jesus Christ died a human death but he rose again because he is God. We don't understand that, but he wanted to feel, the feel what you feel like. He wanted to know what it was like to be born. He wanted to know what it was like to feel alone and to feel um, in pain and so on. And so the Lord Jesus Christ allowed this to happen to himself, and it was finished. In Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15, the Bible says, For whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And so this is the purpose of missions. And now it's our turn. The Lord Jesus Christ came and he finished the task. He knew what his purpose was. There was no question that the Lord Jesus Christ was not walking around wondering what he's going to do. And maybe you're there today where you're just walking around saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Well, listen to me, young man. God may be calling you to stand up here someday and preach the word of God. God, God might be calling you today. He might be touching your soul. And for some reason, you're here today. And I want to encourage you that if he's calling you, I knew the call when I was 11 years old. I had a paper route 
And I remember coming home one evening after collecting some money. I sat down at the table and I said, I'm going to write my first sermon. It was on John chapter 3. And I, I kind of went and, and, and got real nice to my mom because I knew there was one bottle of dad's root beer in, in the refrigerator. And if I told her I was going to write a sermon, then maybe she'll give me that one bottle of root beer. And she did. And she's probably watching this morning, but I remember the touch of God upon my heart back at 11 years old. I remember it was there at the age of 15 and 17. I remember it being there at 22. And I remember it's not going to ever go away. If God's called you, it will never go away. You will know your purpose. And that is to be able to get the gospel out. I think about how that the Bible says in John 20, verse 21, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so even so send I you. He's talking to the disciples, and he's saying, Just like my Father sent me, now I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and now I am sending you. That's missions, dear friend. Do you have a heart for missions? Is missions just something that we have once a year where you don't even get involved with it? Many of you have. And some of you go write in your checks, in your memo, missions, $10, missions, $5 a week or whatever, $20 a week or whatever. But it helps us to be able to, to get the gospel out to these foreign countries. And missions is still needed today. Some of these missionaries are on the field and they're stuck. They're stuck and everything's virtual because they can't go anywhere. And some, some nations have it differently than we have. You know, we have a lot of freedom in this country and we're, we're going to lose that if we're not careful. But I think about how that these people are there and they're seeking out on ways to be able to get the gospel out. I was thinking of talking to Dwayne Ott this last week and talked to him for over an hour on the phone. And it was video chat so I could see what he's doing. And he's got a, he's got a, um, a bicycle because he's got a bad, like some kind of nerve pinched or something in his left leg. I don't know what that's like. Maybe someday I'll know what it's like. But he's got a little bike and he's riding it all the time. And he, he was talking about how that he, God's called him there. And he's, I think he's 81 now. He's 80 or 81. What is it? 82. Yeah, on the mission field. Oh, he knew God's call, and he knew his purpose in life. And there was no question to take his children and go on down to Maranatha and finish up schooling. And he knew that God had called him, and he went on to the mission field, first India and then Singapore and now into Malaysia. And what a wonderful thing to have your purpose and to know what God's called you to do. But here it's talking about God sending his disciples, and he's talking about, I really believe, every single Christian, even so I even so, send I you. And so we have an understanding of our purpose in life. Do you have a purpose in life? There's been men that have had that. Let me just go through a few of them. Dwayne Ott is one of them, of course. But William Booth was a man who knew what he was supposed to do. The founder of Salvation Army, speaking years ago in a statement, he said this, Not called. Not called, did you say? Not heard the call. I think you should say not heard the call. Put your ear down to the Bible and you'll hear God bidding you to go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listen to its pitiful wails for help. Go stand at the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to the Father's house and bid their brothers and their sisters and their servants and their masters to come there. And then look at Christ, look him right in the face, whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you join heart, soul and body and circumstances in March to publish his mercy to the world. William Booth knew his calling and it was for others 
others was his plea. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you sense that upon your heart, that God's calling you. Maybe you're a female here today and you say, I know what God's called me. I need to do something. I need to marry a preacher. Or I need to marry a missionary. I need to do something more than just live the American dream. I need to do more than just make money. I need to do more than just, than just get an education. God's calling people today. I really believe he's calling you, dear friend, to get the word of God out. I believe God's calling us to be soul winners. He's calling us to get the gospel to these people. Say, but I'm not good at saying something. Then just take a track. It's pretty easy. This one's responding to the coronavirus in the light of eternity. What a beautiful track. Really, really well made. And on the back, it talks about they need more help. They can actually call this number, 221-2737, Grace Baptist Church. How about this one? Break the chains of addiction. Uh, on your way to recovery. Maybe, maybe somebody needs this track. I mean, I remember listening to uh, this week uh, a testimony of a man who was, uh, who was speaking on Wednesday night and how he was talking about that there was this, there was this uh, um, military guy in the Air Force and he found a track and took it back to his, to his room and he read the track and he got saved. And that was that man's father. And because of that man getting saved in the Air Force on a track was able to then come, of course, the son is a pastor now, doing a great job. He's able to encourage thousands of preachers on Wednesday night. What a blessing to know that God is still in the business of saving people. Listen, this whole COVID thing is like a, like a blanket over you. It's, it's, it's covering you, and you're, you're thinking, trying to get out from underneath it. And, 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 and in the meantime, people are going to hell, and we seem to not even care I'm not talking to just you. I'm talking to myself. Because it seems like we get caught up in, this, in all the things of this world and we forget that there are people on the edge ready to go into an endless eternity in hell unless we get the gospel to them. It's not just in America. It's all around the world. Souls still undone. Souls that still need Jesus Christ. William Booth knew this. I think about Nate Saint, the Christian missionary pilot to Ecuador, he wrote this, and people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forgot that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for years that they have wasted. But I, I will not have wasted my life. And he did not. Because you know that Nate Saint was killed as he landed on, on an island and was going to take the word of God to the lost. How about C.T. Studd, a British missionary to China? He confessed this. Had I cared for the comments of people, I should never have been a, a missionary. If I would have listened to people discouraging me, I would have never have gone to the mission field. He said this also. If Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. If God gave his only begotten son and sent him to the cross and washed him from heaven, watched him get beaten, he looked and looked and then he had to turn his back because all of the sin of the world was laid upon him. And if God would do that for me, shouldn't I give him my life then? Oh, listen to me. I know we can't all go, but we can all give. We can all pray, can't we? Because there's a need right now for the gospel to be given out. And this administration... And the White House has turned so corrupt, dear friend, that we're focusing on that rather than focusing on the house of God and the will of God. Amen? 
There's so many cares upon you right now and so many burdens. You're overloaded with schedule problems and financial issues and relationship problems that you can't even get yourself from underneath that blanket. Oh, dear friend, let me tell you something. Jesus Christ will help you and he will strengthen you in the time you need it. This morning, I'm looking at myself, shaving in tears, and thinking, I can't do this. I, I, I got little nicks here and stuff where you can see where I, I cut it the wrong way. I thought, I'll just cut the whole thing off, you know. But no, I kept going because I knew that I needed to come. I knew that I needed to speak this message to you. And I, whether there's five people here or whether there's 500 people here, I need to speak the truth to you. That maybe God's speaking to your heart. Has your life become something where you're so confused you don't even know your purpose in life? Come to Christ. Turn to him. Well, maybe you've already done that. Well, now yield to him and say, not my will, but thine, O Lord. And he will show you. He will guide you. And he will strengthen you. And he will give you his power. I chose the the tie on purpose this morning. Someone gave it to me. It says, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. I said, I need that today. If I'm ever going to make it to Culver's after the service, I've I've got to wear this one today. I've got to do all I can do to get up there and be able to speak. I stumbled through Sunday school class, and God was gracious to me. But, but I want you to know that no matter what the problem is, we've got to continue to get the gospel out, dear friend. And we can do that. And Madison has two wonderful, wonderful lighthouses. You've got Madison Baptist Church. You've got, there's others too. But, but I, I love these particular churches, and Grace Baptist Church. What, what a blessing that we have these two Baptist churches in this town. But there are more churches, Bible churches in the area. But I believe God wants to use these churches to ignite souls for Christ and continue to get the gospel out. Robert Moffat, a Scottish missionary to Africa, he was the father-in-law of David Livingston. David Livingston met Mary Moffat, Robert Moffat's daughter. But Robert Moffat said this, he wrote this, he said, Oh, that I had a thousand lives and a thousand bodies, and all of them would be devoted to no other employment but to preach Christ to these degraded, despised, yet beloved mortals. <laughs> I think about how John G. Patton, and I love the story of John Patton. I love the story mostly on his relationship with his dad and how that, how that he, he was going to the train station to go on to school and to be a missionary, and his was going to get on the, the train, and he looked over his shoulder, and through the fog, he could see a man in the distance, and it was his father. He had walked five miles to the train station, and his father walked him far, far, behind, far behind him a little bit, and then when he got to the train station, he could look out and see his father on the hillside up there. He didn't know, but his father later on told him, I prayed for you the whole time, just behind you as you walked to take your last walk here before you went to the mission field. And at that moment... He said, he wrote, by the way, that Protestant missionary from Scotland said this, at that moment, at the moment I put the bread and wine into those dark hands, once stained with the blood of cannibalism, now stretched out to receive and partake the emblems and seals of the Redeemer's love, I had a a foretaste of the joy of glory that well nigh broke my heart to pieces. And I shall never taste a deeper bliss till I gaze on the glorified face of Jesus Christ himself. What a beautiful story. John Patton to the New Hebrides Islands and how that he went to places where no one else would go because they were too afraid. But he went and took the gospel there. By the way, he had, he had six children, 
four, four daughters and two boys. Two boys died at birth. Can you imagine? He stayed on the field even though his sons died. Never carried on the patent name. What a, what a blessing, though, to hear that somebody would actually give their lives to see to it that the gospel would be given to these people of a native land. And he wasn't their kindred. He wasn't even like them at all, but he came with the scriptures. I think of George Miley, a soldier for world missions, even someone that's more contemporary. But he said this, I spent 20 years of my life trying to recruit people out of the local churches and into mission structures so that they could be involved in fulfilling God's global mission. Now, now I have another idea. Let's take God's global mission and put it right smack dab in the middle of a local church. And what a great idea. Let's, let's go ahead and let the church pull together. And let's, let's unite to see to it that somebody else goes, perhaps, to places we can't go to. God's allowed me to go to different places, and I, I praise his name. I've been into places like um, Beirut, Lebanon. I saw those poor people there in the 1950s, late 50s. That was a beautiful place to go, Beirut. It was, it was elaborate. It was like the Hollywood, if you would, and the lush and beautiful place. And how when I got there, it was all bombed. The Syrians had bombed it, and the Christian militia groups had, had a fight before we got there. And so I saw nothing but rubble, and I got out of my Jeep one time because I drove for, for the reconnaissance teams. And I, I got out, and I found a, a, a barber shop that had a, a, a diary. And I put, I put all of those items that I had gotten from Lebanon and Beirut, and I put them all in a sea bag, and someone stole my sea bag. It was in an apartment complex when I first got married, and I, I still wonder what were those prized possessions. The French gave me a beret when I was over there and different things, you know, and I, I think about going to these places and having the opportunity to see so much. We stopped in Spain. I got to see that, and I, I got to be in Turkey uh, for a while and in Antalya. Not too long ago, I was down here renting a trailer from the U-Haul place, and a guy there came up to me, and I said, um, are, you speak Spanish? He said, no, I speak Turkish. And so I was able to talk to him and told him I'd been to Antalya. And uh, I just know a few words, you know, like Medaba. You know, it's, like, it's almost like Medahabah, which is uh, Arabic, but Medabah means, how are you? And so I was able to talk to him a little bit and, and, and speak, you know, not his language, but speak to him because he knew English really well. And I thought, man, I wonder if anybody went to Turkey because I really wanted to go to Turkey at one time, but I know that God's calling you. I know he's, I, I can't go, but maybe God's calling you to go. Would you say I surrender? It's the purpose of missions. Let's look at the potential of missions for just a minute. And I'll stop hollering at you. Look at verse number 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, already to harvest. Lift up your eyes unto the fields. I got a nice drive home from this church. I go up over the bridge, and it doesn't take too long. I, I see the bean fields. Most of them are being harvested right now, and some of the corn is actually being harvested. Some of the guys, its moisture is sufficient for them to pick the corn. I think about how that when I see these fields, I think they're ready, man. They're ready. And you know what else is ready? Ready for me to get out in the woods and go bow hunting, you know. Because I know that when they start getting those beans on, it's time to go out and get my tree stand. But I think about how that 
The Lord Jesus was saying, lift up your eyes and look. The potential of missions realizes that the whole world is ours. and We need to go after them. I think about how the power was given to us in Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, where it says that God gave us his power to be witnesses. Where? Right smack dab in Jerusalem. And then in Judea. And in Samaria. And then into the uttermost parts of the world. And so you understand the vision. And understanding the vision, I think, that Isaiah had. Oh, that I could get a picture of what God looks like. Wouldn't it be splendid to be able to see God high and lifted up? Every time I see a rainbow, I think he's up there and those colors remind me of the revelation where it talks about his throne high and lifted up. Isaiah saw him. He said, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. You know what he said? He said, wow, what a sight. You know what else he said? What a sound to hear the angels' wings flapping and to hear the words, holy, holy, holy. Let me tell you something. When we get a view of that, when we get a view of God, we got the right view of self. We, we understand our purpose. And then we say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Didn't Isaiah say that? He did. He said, here I am. I'm not going to play any more games. I know what I need to do. Here I am. Send me. I think about how a vision was given to somebody and they wrote the song. That heavenly vision. To get a vision of God. Let me just read a few verses to you. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me. Save that thou art, thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word, I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou, my great Father, thine own may I be. Thou in me dwelling, and I one with thee. King, high King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's son. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. The human verdict came to him when he saw God. I am an unclean man of unclean lips. Do you sense that with your own self today? Do you sense your unworthiness? Do you sense your filthiness? If you do, then God is going to use you. Because you must come to that first, that place where you must say that you're a sinner. You must agree with God that you are a sinner. Maybe you've never come to that place. You keep looking for counselors that will tell you that you need to look in the mirror and just tell yourself you're a good person. That will not get you to heaven, dear friend. When you understand that you are nothing but earthly dirt and scum, you will understand that you need God, and God will save you then. I was thinking about the human verdict, but also the humble volunteer Here am I, understanding the variety. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Understanding the value of your purpose. Do you understand how important you are to this cause? I remember years ago, sitting in a uh, squad bay, and all the men, they had a 96, and so I had four days off, and I was broken before God. And I was laying in a squad bay as a corporal. 
and I had my own quarters, and I got down on my face on the ground, and I began to cry out to God, Lord, I, I know that you want me to, to speak for you publicly. I know this is what your calling is for me, but I need your help right now. Would you please strengthen me? And let me tell you something. God did. He will meet with you, but he wants you to come to that place where you reach out to him. He's speaking to you today. Would you say yes to him? Yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, I'll trust you and obey. And when your spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes. I think it's important for us to come to that place. I remember laying there on my face in that squad bay, and all of a sudden these words came to me, faithful, faithful, I will be for the one who died for me. Others, others is his plea. It's so simple, can't you see? What simple little words. I thought about putting it to the tune, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, I, I'd do it right, right now, but I'd sell out. The Internet would go crazy. You know, we don't want that to happen. <laughs> I might bust something, actually. Uh, faithful, faithful, I will be for the one who died for me. Others, others is his plea. It's so simple, can't you see? God was speaking to my heart. He was saying, there's two things I need from you, Dean. I need you to be faithful for me. Oh, as a seven-year-old boy, 1968, I talked to God about it this morning. I said, I'm so thankful that you saved me in 1968. I was seven years old. And I thought, how beautiful it was to understand as a little child that I needed Jesus Christ. I've had some difficulties. You've had difficulties too. But he's still there all of these years. That was 1969, 1968. Can you imagine what, what this place was like back then? It's a whole lot different. Madison was almost like Mayberry. At least McFarland was. It was completely different. Let me tell you something. When you give your heart to Jesus as a young age, sometimes you go through some doubts, sometimes you go through some valleys, but God is still there, and he will strengthen you. And if you've never come to him, if you've never said, Lord, I know I'm a sinner, would you come into my life and save me? He will do it just like that. But you must call upon him. You see, God instigates a relationship with you. He says, I will, if you will. And by the way, he already said he will, and he did. He proved it on the cross. He said, I do. I think about a marriage and how that they come forward and each of them say, I do. This is a picture of what happens when the sinner comes and says, I know you've done it already, Lord. You said, I do. And now I say, I do, too and enter into that covenant relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But the process of missions, I think about how the commentator says in verses 36 through 38, let me just read these verses to you, we'll be all done. I think, let me check. I got four minutes. Verse 36. He that reapeth receives wages and gathers fruit unto eternal life, that both he, the sower, and he that reapeth may rejoice together. Wow, what unity. And herein, and herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap, that whereon you bestowed no labor, and other men labored, and you are entered in to their labors. The commentary goes on to say this. One of the commentators said, Jesus and others had sown spiritual seed. The disciples might gather the fruit, 
by being instrumental in the conversion of men. And thus Christ and his disciples, like sowers and reapers, rejoice together. We need laborers today. That's what we're getting at. And that's really what Jesus was talking about. He looked upon the multitude, of course. He began to weep. And he had compassion. That's the same word for mercy. Upon those that don't have really a shepherd to take care of them. Henry Martin, he died in 1812. He said this, following a brilliant student career at Cambridge, rejected, oh, he, this is what's said about him, following a brilliant student career at Cambridge, rejected several opportunities in order to go to the mission field. He prayed, here am I, Lord. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough. Send me to the pagans of the wilderness. Send me from all that is called comfort in earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and in thy kingdom. I really believe sometimes God wants to know if we're willing to go. Sometimes he doesn't send, but he just wants to know if we're willing to go. But we need unity. We need humility. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, for we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry, and you are God's building. Remember what it says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, that I may hear of your affairs. The Apostle Paul is saying that you stand fast in one spirit and in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. There are six billion people in the world, and the only way for them to be saved is to put their trust in Jesus Christ. Your witness, your speaking out, you giving tracts, you having that burden. It cannot be delegated to another generation, dear friend. We are the generation that needs to wake up and start getting the gospel out more. And in closing, the power of missions, look what it says in verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him. For the saying of the woman that testified, he told me all that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is Christ, the Savior of the world. What it's referring to is really what I think is one of the most greatest understandings of the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 4, that he was a soul winner doesn't go well with some of the maybe denominations and so on. But Jesus was concerned about souls, and he met a woman at the well. She had so many men, but she began to pour her heart out to God. And you know what God did? He saved her from all of her troubles. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his troubles. This poor woman cried, and the Lord delivered her from all of her troubles. How about you today? Are you struggling? The power of missions, what this lady was able to do? Now they're saying, we believe her. She testified of you. But we we know now that you are the Messiah. The Samaritans joyfully 
embraced that which the Jews most stubbornly rejected, the Samaritans said, okay, okay, Lord. Sam Kinison was a, he was a comedian back in the 1980s, early 80s. How many ever had heard of Sam Kinison? You know, many of you don't realize this, but Sam was in a Pentecostal church and he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Then he went off and he was one of the most pathetic comedians ever. Especially got on Saturday Night Live and they would actually put him on these shows and so on. Sam Kinison. Yeah, make everybody laugh, buddy. He gave his heart back to the Lord and he became, became sober. He was in Nevada and he was going down the highway. He cleaned up his life. Things were going pretty good for him now. I'm not going to go back to that old way of living. By the way, he did some videos that were pathetic and, and almost blasphemous. And he was driving down the road and some guys in a pickup truck got out of their lane and hit him head on. They, they pulled him out of the front seat. His manager pulled him out and held Sam Kinison in his arms. And he said, I was speaking to him. I was saying, Sam, don't die. Don't die. And Sam was saying, I don't want to go. I don't want to go now. I don't want to go. And he said, just hang on, hang on. And then all of a sudden, it's, the manager said, it's his own words. He said, it looked as if he was looking at somebody else besides me. And he said, okay, okay. You may not believe in eternal security, but I do. And I believe that God came down and picked Sam by his hand and took him to be with him. He passed away. Had a life that was shortened, and I believe it was because of disobedience to God. And I really believe God still does that today. I want to encourage you that God is interested in you. He may be working in your heart, but do you have a heart for missions? Do you have a heart for souls? These people did. They've crossed the line. They sold all their possessions. I think of the ones in Malaysia, Dwayne Ott. I still can't get over that. Never had a couch. I don't know how many years she was on the mission field, 30 30 years. Never had a couch. Never had a chair. I don't even think she knew how to handle one of those clicker TV things. And she's in heaven now, rejoicing. (laughs) And her fruit will follow because she was able to teach a little boy who is now the pastor of that church there in Singapore. He's doubled in size. And praise the Lord that God keeps ministries going. And praise God that there are people that will say, I'm willing to take the baton. I have a heart for missions. I'll go. And maybe you won't go, perhaps, but you'll say, I'll stay, but I'll do all I can do to encourage people to go. And I'll pray for those that have went. We have a wonderful opportunity, friend. Right now, people are in the dark. They need help. They need hope. And God will give you his power so that you can help them. There's no doubt. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I'm not going to have a long invitation this morning. But maybe you're sitting here and you say, Pastor Howell, I still don't even know if I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't know for sure. I want to go to heaven, but I don't know how to get there. I'm trying to be as good as I can, but I want to get there 
according to the scriptures. I want to get there God's way. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, would you please pray for me because I'm not sure I'm going to heaven? Is there anybody like that? Just lift up your hand and I'll pray for you. I won't point you out, but I'll pray for you. Is there anyone? Pray for me, Pastor. Then, dear Christian, the message was for you. And you don't need to really answer any of my questions anymore. You just need to step out and say, here I am, Lord. Maybe it's just up here at an old-fashioned altar where you can talk to God. Say, here I am. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We just stand to your feet. We're going to have an old-fashioned invitation. If you need to come, we're going to have an opportunity for you to do that today. Just step out. Don't, don't care about what others say. Do what God's calling you to do. Father, I pray that you would bless the invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.